A light switch, such a small, ordinary plastic thing, yet flipping it on is anything but benign. With around 50% of our electricity made by burning coal, that finger flick makes me complicit in the death of miners, the rupture of the coal slurry dam in West Virginia, the polluted air that makes people ill and kills trees. But wait, we had one confession already this morning. I grew up in a home where connecting with the natural world was natural. My Saturday jobs included yard work, anything from weeding to picking up rotten apples. My parents must have recognized that that was the worst job. At least we got paid five cents per bucketful. Hikes were dotted with identification of plants. We hung laundry outside, picking up clothespins and clothes from an impossibly clumsy, collapsible cloth cart that squealed as we pushed it along the wash line. When I was a sophomore in high school, I got a big taste of the impact of global economics with the 1973 oil embargo. Suddenly, there were long lines at gas stations, rolling into a gas station and cranking down the car window and telling the attendant to fill it up. didn't work anymore, as one could only buy a limited amount of gas. The national speed limit went down to 55 miles an hour. Newspapers carried cutouts, which could be attached to light switches, that read, last out, lights out, don't be fuelish. Even NASCAR made voluntary changes to conserve. For our family, the oil shortage meant that car errands were carefully coordinated, and our home thermostat got turned way down, I think maybe off, and we lived a winter or two, though it seemed longer, inventing ways to stay warm. There was national interest in renewable energy, fuel-efficient vehicles, and home energy conservation. As a country, we needed to conserve, and though it was framed in the context of U.S. citizenship, my faith community made it clear that conservation had to do with my greater citizenship in God's kingdom and valuing every part of, of creation. My understanding of being a member in God's household broadened when Daryl and I moved to Bolivia to work for MCC. We lived and worked with a patchwork of people who had lost everything when a major river flooded more severely than usual. This river did flood often, likely from years of clearing land for development. We learned that the poor, less economically resilient members of God's family who had contributed less less to the problem were the most affected. Daryl and I recently saw the Monarch IMAX at Whitaker Center in Harrisburg, It's a lovely story about monarch migration to the mountainous area in Mexico where they cling to the fir trees by the thousands. There used to be winters with 50 acres of monarch-draped trees. This past winter, there were three acres. More extreme weather and less natural habitat is to blame, especially the loss of milkweed, the only food source for monarch larvae. The decline and possible extinction of these butterflies is a source of despair and terror for me. And it's it's an example of the already observable shifts and an omen of what might might be to come. So how can it be that in spite of undeniable evidence that the Earth's climate is changing, it's so easy to feel lethargic and confused? Certainly, we are affected by media messages carefully designed to plant doubts and slow our response to this emerging crisis. The fact that we still use the term debate in the same breath as climate change reminds me of the debate centuries ago about the shape of the earth. Promoters of the round earth theory suffered for their belief, even as they proved their point with good science. 
The flat earthers maybe didn't get to travel too far, but at least their lack of belief didn't threaten the survival of communities and species around the world. I suspect that gloom and despair are a pretty common reaction to such a global problem. Despair can disable us. So instead, I'd like to talk about some things I do to keep hope and some things we might be able to do together. For starters, I'll repeat something Luke Goschel, Executive Director at Mary Lee Environmental Center in Goshen, Indiana, said. Let's remember that all of us are influencers. We can all learn to use that influence more effectively. We don't have to look very far to find goosebump-raising, not-in-your-throat stories about regular people who had a powerful impact for stand- by standing up for something important. Everyday decisions are the building blocks of our lifestyle. So, take little steps, and big ones, too. Action gives hope. Like a lot of you, Daryl and I try to raise lots of vegetables. This gives us joy, even as it wears us and the knees of our jeans out. Like some others here, we had solar panels installed on our roof with the help of government subsidies. We can write our lawmakers and ask for a shift in the billions that go to the oil industry to support renewable energy sources instead. Find others who care. Last year, I joined the steering committee of the Mennonite Church Creation Care Network, which links me with a small group of Mennos from the U.S. and Canada. The Creation Care Network's resolution adopted at the 2013 Mennonite Church Convention in Phoenix says... Be it resolved that members of Mennonite Church USA commit to growing in their dedication to care for God's creation as an essential part of the good news of Jesus Christ. On the network's website, you can read what other Mennonite churches are doing. Look for 100 Shades of Green. And check out the new Creation Care curriculum that served as a guide for this month's series on creation care. Look for Small Wonders. For me, it's important that this not necessarily have to do with time spent in the woods since I and most of the world's population live in an urban setting. A few weeks ago, Daryl and I got stopped in our tracks by the double rainbow visible in our east windows. And then there are tiny wonders like the praying mantises hatching from their styrofoam-like nest that Harley's pictures captured. Build community connections that ripple out onto the, into the whole world. This month's learning about our watershed can focus our commitment and energy at different levels. At a household level, we compost. It gives us something to talk about with our friends. It's also a way to lose friends if you talk about it too much. (laughs) We have a tiny notebook in our car to keep track of how much gas we buy so that we know how much gas tax to pay to the East Chestnut Creation Care Fund. On a broader level, we can get involved with issues like the proposed Lancaster County Gas Pipeline. Challenge expectations of ease and comfort with zest. Be willing to add a layer if you're cold or sweat a little. Take time to walk or ride instead of driving. If you're new to this congregation, you might not realize that this sanctuary doesn't have air conditioning. If you're here later this summer, you likely will notice. Some people might think we're behind the times with our lack of of AC. I like to think we're forward thinkers. Value local economics. Know the people who produce the goods you use. Daryl loves to follow the progress of the goat cheese lady at market as she ramps up from fresh to aged cheeses. Buying from a Lancastrian can take a while because they might just get to talking. This afternoon, we'll visit Fiddle Creek Farm to see where Francis and Tim make their yogurt. 
We citizens of God's kingdom have a wonderful history of being obstinate and persistent in taking little and big steps towards those impossible big goals. Consider what it took to get the option of conscientious objector status in the 1950s. Remember that not very many years ago, women could not be ordained in Lancaster Conference. Think of those early Anabaptists who took the little step of pouring water on each other's heads. A few weeks ago, Daryl and I rode halfway around the 20-mile loop, biking loop that encircles Harrisburg on a mix of dedicated trail and share the road. There was a beautiful stream with newly planted trees forming a riparian buffer pushed up alongside swatches of invasive Japanese knotweed. We crossed the stream by the infamous Harrisburg incinerator, and ended by the Har- which ended by the Harrisburg prison and the adjacent mall sprawl. A garden of the five senses gave way to an immense field of debris of discarded buildings left to rot where they never will rot, leaving us feeling like players in the Hunger Games. In between, there was a garden dedicated to Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. The whole bike ride was a reminder that we always have beauty and brokenness. They are what holds us together and motivate, and motivate us. We see pain and brokenness even while we believe that there's a greater beauty ahead. And we hang tight to the hope that each of us, along with the rest of God's family, can make a difference. Small things like sitting at a lunch counter or flipping a light switch off are the responsibilities of citizens of the kingdom of God. Good morning. I'm Larry Zook and have been asked to share a little bit from the perspective of Landis Homes uh, and Landis Communities. In recent years, it's been very exciting to see a growing commitment to creation care, both here at East Chestnut Street and at Landis Homes. I'm grateful for the numerous connections between East Chestnut Street and Landis Homes and believe this contributes to shared values in other areas as well. Landis Homes was created about 50 years ago by a group of 10 founders appointed by Eastern Mennonite Board of Missions. One of these founders was Frank Ank, who often attended East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church here as bishop overseer for our district. In the early 1960s, Frank was selected as chair of a retirement home planning committee, and he challenged the group to keep in mind a vision of creating a community rather than a traditional old people's home facility. I believe that this vision included caring for the land as an integral part of creating community. Landis Homes is situated in the midst of beautiful and productive farmland. The land around our campus is all zoned agricultural, and some of the farms are protected from future development through uh, the Farmland Preservation Program. We are grateful for the land on which we are placed and are reminded of the first verse in Psalm 24, the earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it, the world and all its people. We're privileged to be caretakers of that small part of God's creation. A few weeks ago, Todd mentioned in his sermon a comment by Wendell Berry. 
Barry suggested that a key question is not how to care for our planet, but how to care for each of its millions of human neighborhoods and natural ecosystems. Barry went on to say, each church, and I might add each senior living community, needs to covenant itself deeply to a particular place, getting to know our neighbors, our city leaders, our fellow creatures, where our food and water come from, and what happens to our garbage. Todd concluded by suggesting that we need to do this because we can't save places that we don't love, and we can't love places that we don't know. At Landis Homes and in our umbrella organization, Landis Communities, we seek to know, to love, and to help save the places entrusted to our care. I would like to share a few stories to help illustrate how we seek to care for creation throughout the three communities, the three locations that are part of Landis Communities. We're motivated to do these things not because we think it looks good or because people are asking for it, but because it helps preserve the earth. We do this because we are citizens of creation, and God's creation story invites us to claim this citizenship. We have a small stream at Landis Homes called Kurtz Run that crosses campus from west to east and eventually flows into the Conestoga River and the Chesapeake Bay. Last week, uh, we heard from Monte Garber about the watershed here. There's also a small tributary to Kurtz Run that runs from north to south, starting along East Oregon Road and entering into the Kurtz Run. Kurtz Run is pictured here in this photo that is several years old, and it was degraded by centuries of human activity, such as timber harvesting and clearing the land for farming. These activities caused eroding soils to make their way into lowlands, which were originally a marshy area, gradually filling it up with sediment and producing a narrow channel stream with stormwater rushing down the channel and taking along with it harmless nitrates and phosphates which pollute the Chesapeake Bay. Several years ago, we engaged an environmental consulting group called Land Studies who along with FNM College professors researched what this area would have been like hundreds of years ago in a more natural state when at that time stormwater would naturally infiltrate back into the earth instead of rushing into the Chesapeake. After we learned of both the environmental benefits and the potential to better manage stormwater across our campus and some of the financial benefit that that provided us as well, we then removed about 40,000 tons of sediment in essence, creating a natural water detention area. This image here is what it looks like now as the floodplain has been restored to a more natural state, serving as a natural habitat for much wonderful wildlife as well. Since we restored the floodplain, many bird watchers have visited Landis homes. One birder reported seeing great blue heron, green heron, great egret, greater yellow legs, lesser yellow legs, three different kinds of sandpiper, killdeer, and more. 
There are other ways that we work at Creation Care at Landis Homes as well. When we decided to add 140 homes on South Campus, we achieved LEED Gold status by incorporating a number of green design features such as geothermal heating and cooling, open space preservation, recycling of construction waste, and incorporating rain gardens and the use of rainwater harvesting. Our work in rainwater harvesting has included use of rain barrels and underground tanks that are used to store rainwater for washing cars and watering plants. This is an image of one of two rainwater car wash stations that are available for use by all residents. These two stations use water collected from the roofs of hybrid homes. We seek to live green in other areas as well, such as installing energy-efficient building management systems to help reduce energy use. In our dining services program, we live green in a number of ways, including composting coffee grounds and vegetable waste. East Chestnut Street member Greg Henning, uh, who recently retired after 14 years as director of dining services, contributed much to these efforts. One of Greg's mantras over the years has been reduce, reuse, and recycle. There is still much, though, that can be done in these areas. As you can imagine, in any community, we don't agree on all aspects of living green at Landis Homes, such as whether it's okay to let dandelions grow in the spring. <laughs> but we are talking about these things. Gradually, over time, I imagine we will move toward a more natural state in these areas. For some, this time is not coming soon enough. Personally, though, these conversations, both here at church and at Landis Homes, help us to make choices that align with creation care. For example, at home, Don, Ben, and I choose not to use weed control measures uh, nor fertilize our lawns. I mentioned that Landis Homes is one of three communities supported by Landis Communities, the umbrella organization created by Landis Homes in 2011. Steepleview Lofts is another and offers 36 market rate rental apartments for persons age 55 and over located in downtown Lancaster at 118 North Water Street between Orange and Chestnut Streets. Part of our commitment to creation care uh, at Steepleview Lofts has been to work at reducing the amount of rainwater entering the city sewage system. This included using permeable brick and porous asphalt paving shown here in this picture. This helps capture and infiltrate stormwater runoff from the roof as well as from parking areas. Another Landis Communities program is Welsh Mountain Home in New Holland which has a rich 90-year history of serving many persons with lesser income. It affiliated with Landis Communities in 2013, and in 2015, we hope to open Mountain View Terrace, offering 36 low-income housing tax credit apartments for seniors age 62 and over. We'll be using sustainable design features in that building as well, including geothermal heating and cooling and other energy-saving features. Fifty years ago, Frank Ank challenged the founders of Landis Homes to create a community 
rather than a traditional old people's home facility. I hear that call resonating today throughout Landis communities as we are challenged to learn new ways of being community, rooted in Christ's love and citizens of God's good creation. Growing up as a kid, like Marlisa, um, I was always playing outside, whether it was building tree forts with fallen limbs or with my dad learning the names for trees and flowers and bird species. Um, and then also spending many summers at Camp Hebron as a counselor or as a uh, child learning about leaving no trace or impact on God's creation. And um, I was learning about watershed discipleship and creation care unknowingly, but enthusiastically. I have continually grown to appreciate the intricate and interdependent world around us that God has created and felt a strong desire to protect and treasure this thinking of today, but also for the future generations that will impact. And those experiences have been extremely formative in the jobs and the hobbies that I've continued to pursue. I've really appreciated this faith community and the values of creation care that it takes to heart with claiming our citizenship, not only in their actions within the walls of the church, but also people personally and professionally, as both Marlisa and Larry shared, and many others as well. It's hard to not be overwhelmed with injustices and problems that are occurring in our world, but to know that others are working both individually and we collectively towards many tangible projects offers ways for us to bring the kingdom here now on earth and offers me a lot of hope. For Creation Care, um, it was formed approximately 10 years ago by a group of folks at East Chestnut Street that were studying a book called Second Mile in their Sunday school class. And um, a lot of folks took what they were reading to heart, and eventually Second Mile became its own Sunday school class that meets up there. Um, But they presented to the congregation and to the board ideas about how they wanted to incorporate aspects of creation care into the the church. They ended up um, turning it into a voluntary gas tax, Um, which is how the creation fund got started, that some of these folks would charge themselves a voluntary gas tax on the mileage that they drove in their vehicles. And this turned into a creation care fund that is set aside for money for either the congregation or the, the congregants and the community to use. It's very broadly used. So many individuals and families still donate to this fund today, and if there are folks who are, have, are not familiar with this and are more interested in the back, in the foyer or the foyer, there is a, there's a form that's sort of a gray-colored form if people are interested in, in participating or just learning more. Um, some of the past projects that Creation Care has been involved in over the years has been efficient lighting, low-flow toilets, infl- insulation for water pipes, Um, tree planting projects throughout the city, and most recently, rain barrels, just to name a few. Um, The next opportunity that's going to be coming available is a grant with the Lancaster City and the Lancaster County Conservancy from the National Fishing and Wildlife Federation, or NIFWF. Um, And it is to improve our stormwater runoff by creating a water retention area underneath the church parking lot out back. The system's designed to capture the first inch 
of a major storm event and then slowly filter or percolate the water through a, a various amount of levels of rock and some other batter um, to drain the first 24 hours or an over to the sewer. And so it allows the, the water to slowly infiltrate rather than adding to the stormwater volume that already overwhelms the city's waste treatment facilities in heavy rainfall storms. So the city finds this system as an effective project as part of their in green infrastructure program goals because it captures 240,000 gallons over the course of a year, and that would be about half of the church roof that would drain into there at 22 cents per gallon for the cost of the whole project. So the big question, you know, what does it cost? Well, the grant would cover the full cost of soil testing, design, project management, and implementation, and would be at no cost to the church. A team of folks from Creation Care and Property Commission have been meeting with the city and their planners to find out what the details of the, of the program are, and we are still waiting to get soil samples to know the next steps um, if we're able to move forward. So we're really excited that our congregation could be doing something significant to support improving both the, the water in our area flowing from the Conestoga River the whole way to the Chesapeake Bay and reducing our impervious surface fee that we'll be continuing to incur from the city throughout the years, as well as being a model in our community and tangibly being able to show um, some of the practices of creation care that we hold as a faith community. And so we envision that East Chestnut Street is a place that both the community can learn some practical ways to reduce stormwater runoff, rain barrels, tree plantings, hopefully this fire retention basin, and then it could be a launching point for some future outreach initiatives and awareness. So um, we already have a partnership with the Mennonite Creation Care Network in a, in a wider sense, but we're hoping to be able to grow that locally with some other churches, both Mennonite and some other ecumenical groups to maybe do um, bike or walk to church day, um, bike tune-up events, and maybe some other planting programs to be involved. And so we want to envision together. So please talk with any of us in creation care or the church more broadly about ways we can be more involved as a church and with our community and more broadly. So finally, if you've been really enjoying some of the conversations that have been happening over the past couple weeks with this series, we are going to keep it going. We're going to be doing a Sunday school elective with the uh, Mennonite Mission Network Mennonite Creation Care Network um, called In Every Creature Singing that talks a lot about the water discipleship, claiming our citizenship over the course of a curriculum that they've developed. So there'll be more information that'll be coming out about that, um, and there'll be a few folks from the congregation that'll be joint, joint teaching that effort for the summer. So we genuinely thank you guys for all of your input and your feedback that you've offered throughout the series and your willingness to engage and talk through these, off, through these uh, conversations, and we hope that it'll keep going. So thank you.